0: I think it's safe to assume that everyone here is is familiar with the Christmas story. I mean, what comes to mind when you hear these, these familiar words? And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. I mean, does that, does that bring you back to your, your, your childhood, right? Hearing about the, the shepherds and the angels on, on Christmas morning. Maybe certain songs or carols just immediately come to mind. Maybe some that we've already sung. For me, in my head, I always hear Linus reading this passage from the Charlie Brown Christmas special. Can't help it. But I'm really glad that we're studying this passage in September rather than December. Because what that does is it allows us to, to step out of the holiday hustle and bustle, all of the distractions and the familiarities and the sentimentality, and it lets us step into this passage with fresh eyes. Remember, the people in this passage, they had never heard the word Christmas. They were just ordinary people living their ordinary lives when something completely extraordinary happened to them. So go ahead and open your copy of God's Word to Luke chapter 2. As you do, I want to remind you that last week we saw Mary and Joseph travel to Bethlehem during the Roman census. And while they were in Bethlehem, Mary gave birth to the most important person who has ever lived. So if you picture the scene in your mind's eye, it's as if Luke shifts the camera and it lifts up from that stable in Bethlehem and it pans over to the fields just outside the city. No fanfare, no glory. Everything is totally normal as it had been told them. This is the word of the Lord. Let's go to him now in prayer. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, asking for your help. There is glory in this passage, and we need your Holy Spirit's help to see it. So please open the eyes of our hearts to behold wonderful things from your word. Help us to be like Mary there, that she treasured up these things in her heart, pondering them. Help us to ponder these things together, treasure these things together. Open to us this good news. We ask this for the glory of your great name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, I can't summarize this passage better than Luke does in verses 10 and 11, that the coming of Christ is good news of great joy for all people. The coming of Christ is good news of great joy for all people. And we'll see that good news play out in two different ways in our passage. We'll see good news proclaimed in verses 8 through 17. And then we'll see good news received in verses 18 through 20. So first, let's look at good news proclaimed. And remember, we want to move beyond the typical holiday sentimentality. We want to move past some of that that holiday baggage that comes along with this passage to so try to put yourself in the shoes and in the perspective of these shepherds and in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night you live in a small town You're a totally normal person, a blue-collar worker just trying to make ends meet. You're a shepherd, so you live a hard life. Most of your time is spent out away from society, out in the wilderness, with your animals. You're protecting them from predators, and you're working the graveyard shift, just like the night before, and the night before that, and the night before that. And then this happens. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. This night that was just like every other night suddenly became like no other night. Now I don't know about you, but angelic beings typically don't show up while I'm at work doesn't happen even with the job change <laughs> <laughs> hasn't happened yet this was a first for the shepherds this was shocking this was they were filled with great fear angels normally don't show up while you're on the clock now now you kids in the room I want to ask you what do you what do you think about when you hear about angels what comes to your mind? Like, how do you picture an angel? Because sometimes in, in storybooks or in drawings, right, they look like cute little babies floating on clouds with harps and halos. Unfortunately, that is not the biblical picture of angels at all. In the Bible, angels are the lethal and dangerous warriors of heaven. They have swords... That are on fire. (laughs) And they can single handedly and instantaneously destroy entire cities. These shepherds were understandably and justifiably filled with great fear. But it wasn't even just the angel, it says the glory of the Lord surrounded them. Now that sounds wonderful, right? the the glory of the Lord. But remember that Moses asked to see God's glory and he said, no man can see me and live. No doubt these men were on their face with their eyes closed, filled with great fear. They were in a life-threatening situation. Or so it seemed The angel speaks and the angel said to them, fear not for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. These men who are filled with great fear, the first words they hear is fear not You don't have to be afraid. We're not bearers of bad news. In fact, we're bringing you the best news that's ever been told. The shepherds lived in a world filled with bad news. And we live in a world that's so often filled with bad news. Don't you want to hear some good news? Well, the angel was a herald of the best news imaginable that a child has been born in the city of David, a savior who is Christ, the Lord. And there is a lot of glorious truth packed into that short statement. We see that this infant, he is the Christ, the anointed one, the promised conqueror, great David's greater son, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And as we saw last week, that surprisingly, he is a humble king. But we also see that he is Christ the Lord. Right? And this is the great reality that we were just soaking in in the whole first chapter of Luke's gospel, that Jesus really is God in the flesh. He is truly God and truly man, 100% divinity, 100% humanity, but I want to focus on somewhat of a new development in the Messiah's identity as it's unfolding throughout Luke's gospel. It's an aspect that the angel brings into sharp focus here, that unto you is born this day a Savior. Jesus was born into a world desperate for salvation. And in 2,000 years, not much has changed. We're helpless. We can't fix ourselves. We can't redeem ourselves. We are completely unable to save ourselves. So praise God that he took the initiative. He took the initiative to send his own son into the world to save sinners and to rescue us. Jesus is the Savior. And we, we see him as Savior even in the setting of this story, even in the location. These shepherds were in the fields outside of Bethlehem. Bethlehem is about five miles away from Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the home of the temple, the place of sacrifice. These shepherds were raising sheep. Do you see the connection? We don't know it for sure, but but more than likely, these shepherds were raising the spotless lambs that would be sacrificed in the temple. And to these shepherds, God makes his first announcement that the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, the once for all final sacrifice has come. This is really good news. Can you imagine the shepherds and how they received this? Their job is over. But this salvation is brought into even more clarity as the one angel is joined by an army of angels to celebrate this good news. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, the word host, it just means army. So, this heavenly host, it, it's less of a celestial choir and more of a great angelic army giving a victory shout. This is the third song that we've seen so far in Luke's gospel. And now it's just amplified and escalated as the skies are filled with the praises of the Lord. They sing glory to God in the highest. They give praise and honor and glory to God for all that he's done and all that he's doing in the coming of Christ. They praise him specifically because this child has come as the savior, the prince of peace, who will ultimately bring peace on earth among those with whom he is pleased. But we need to slow down because we hear that phrase a lot, again, especially around the holidays. But what does it really mean? Peace on earth. Did you notice there's a qualifier? Peace on earth, specifically among those with whom he is pleased. So, who falls into that category? We should want to know who is God pleased with exactly? Because by implication, this also means that there are people with whom God is not pleased. And that's a terrifying reality. So we need to know, who is God pleased with? Is he pleased with me? Is he pleased with you? Well, if we, if we zoom out and if we take a, a wider look at the whole counsel of God... get a lot of help. The answer to this question comes into focus. Hebrews 11.6 especially gives us a great insight. It says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Which means, in a sense, it's like the angels are actually singing about the exact same reality that Paul would later write about in Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. That therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This child, in this manger, this child was born to create peace between a holy God and sinful humanity. He was born to become the only mediator between God and man. As you're already saying, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. That's the goal, which means there is bad news that we are sinners who need reconciliation. We have all sinned against our creator. We've broken his law. So our natural relationship with God is one of hostility. Apart from the saving work of Jesus Christ, we are enemies of God. You might not think of yourself as an enemy of God. That might seem like too strong of language. But to be an enemy of God, it doesn't just mean that you're actively hostile against him. Though, of course, it includes that. Biblically speaking, to be an enemy of God can also mean that you disregard him. You turn away from him. You reject his free offer of salvation. Apart from Jesus Christ, our relationship with God is one of enmity and hostility. But Christ has come to reconcile us back to God. Christ died the righteous for the unrighteous to bring us to God. He was born to become our mediator, to transform our relationship from one of hostile enemies of God to adopted children of God. As Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And how does he do that? For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him, that is in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. This child is. In Bethlehem, born during Caesar's census, would grow up to die on Caesar's cross. And on that cross, Jesus became our sin. He endured the wrath of God that we deserved. And by grace through faith, we can become the righteousness of God in him. A gift that we don't deserve. And because our sin has been removed and God's wrath has been extinguished and our sins have been forgiven and Christ's perfect righteousness has been counted to us, now we can truly have peace with God. Not because of what we've done, but because of what Christ has done on our behalf. This is the good news of great joy that in Christ, the holy, holy, holy God can be deeply pleased with us. Because of our union with Christ, because we have been united to him, God takes pleasure in us. God takes pleasure in you. God delights in you. God is pleased with you. God's smile is forever upon you, and he is at peace with you. The Prince of Peace has come. He has come and he has preached peace to those who are far off and he has preached peace to those who are near. He has killed the hostility. He has established peace and he has reconciled us back to God and now Christ himself is our peace. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Once the angels finished this glorious song, they went back to heaven Heaven, and the shepherds had to go see this for themselves. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. So the angels' words, they proved true immediately. This good news that was almost too good to be true turned out to be completely true. These shepherds, they saw the Christ child with their very own eyes. They saw every single promise of God brought to their ultimate fulfillment in a baby lying in a manger. And now they had to tell everyone. They couldn't help it, they couldn't keep this good news to themselves, so they started spreading the word. This good news of great joy, it is meant to be proclaimed and proclaimed to all people. That's exactly the mission that Jesus has given to us as his church. Now, angels, they were the first ones to proclaim this good news in our passage. But God, he could have chosen them. He could have chosen that particular method as his normal way of evangelizing the world. He could have sent angels to every city on earth to proclaim the good news. But he didn't. He chose us. Yes, he used angels in this one specific instance, but he wants to use us, his church, his people, to spread this good news of great joy to all people. This is why we want to take the gospel to our neighbors and to the nations. This gospel was given for all people. And we see such a beautiful picture of this, even in the fact that this royal birth announcement is made specifically to shepherds. We might expect good news like this to first be proclaimed in the city of Rome, the political center of the world at that time. Or in Jerusalem, the religious center. Or in Athens, the intellectual and philosophical center of the world. But no. These glad tidings were first announced in the middle of a field... In the middle of the night, in the middle of nowhere, to a bunch of nobodies. This is, this is totally unexpected. It's all upside down. And it's because this good news really is for all people. The shepherds are such perfect examples of this. In the, in the first century, shepherds were incredibly average There was nothing particularly great about being a a shepherd, and there was nothing particularly horrible. They weren't the nobles of society, and they weren't the scum of society. They were just your average Joes. Again, some some blue-collar ag workers just trying to make it through another night shift. They were totally normal people, just like you and me. And that's because the gospel is for normal people. Just like you and me, it's for everyone. Well, these shepherds, they were so blown away by what they had heard and what they had seen that they had to let everyone know the good news. But did you notice? There's no command in this text, there's no imperative. The angels didn't tell the shepherds to go spread the good news. Because they didn't have to. This was just the natural response to the best news they had ever heard. This was the overflow of their newfound joy. I love the way that missionary Leslie Nubigen describes this reality. He says, there has been a long tradition which sees the mission of the church primarily as obedience to a command. And to me, that misses the point. It tends to make mission a burden rather than a joy. To make it part of the law rather than part of the gospel. If one looks at the New Testament evidence, one gets another impression. Mission begins with a kind of explosion of joy. The news that the rejected and crucified Jesus is alive is something that cannot possibly be suppressed. It must be told. Who could be silent about such a fact? I love that. Mission is an explosion of joy. Now, Our our family is in the season of life where losing teeth is a common occurrence. (laughs) And when a, a kid loses a tooth, It's a big deal. They're very excited. And you can't stop them from telling everyone about it. I mean, I've tried. You can't do it. (laughs) They're sharing that news out of an explosion of joy. And this morning, I'm not going to tell you how you need to go and share the gospel. I'm just not going to do it. I'm not going to guilt trip you and say, well, by this time next Sunday, you better have shared the gospel with at least one person. No, it's not going to happen. But all week long, I have been praying that you would be so excited and exhilarated and thrilled and filled with joy about this good news that you can't help yourself. You have to share it. I want you to be motivated by joy and love, not by guilt and fear. I want you to feel that this good news is so good that how could you possibly keep quiet? And this is just naturally what we do with anything that we're excited about. But right? if you're really into something, a, a hobby, a band, a TV show, a sports team, whatever it is, no one has to make you talk about it. When you're really enjoying something, no one has to coerce you or convince you or twist your arm to get you to evangelize to other people about that thing. You can't help it. And believers, we have the best news in the universe. We have the good news of great joy for all people. We have the glad tidings that a savior has come, a king has come, God in the flesh has come. How can we possibly keep silent? So we've been considering the the nature of this good news and how to communicate this good news. But the next question we have to ask is, how should this good news be received? That's exactly what Luke shows us in verses 18 through 20 where we see good news received. And all who heard it, This is the shepherd's message. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Now in these three verses, we see three different responses to this good news of great joy. First, we see the response of the people in verse 18. That the people of Bethlehem, they they heard the good news. And Luke says they wondered at what the shepherds told them. Now Luke, he's not intending to show us that they they were wondering about what this all means. Like they were confused. They didn't quite get it. They were questioning the message. That's not what he means. No, it means they were filled with wonder. They were amazed. They were awestruck. The NIV is a bit more clear. It says... All who heard it were amazed. And this is an absolutely proper response. The good news is stunningly amazing, so we should receive it with amazement, with wonder. But you might be here and you might be a bit skeptical of us Christians and our gospel message. It might not seem so amazing to you like it does to us. Well, here's my encouragement to you. Ask God to reveal the truth to you and to open your eyes to see just how good and true and beautiful this good news really is. Maybe you're not even sure what to think about God. But go ahead and ask him. Go ahead and ask him to lead you into the truth, to open your eyes. Right down the road in the in the Smoky Mountains, there are, are several viewing stations specifically intended for colorblind people so they can see the, the full beauty of the mountains. As a, as a partially colorblind person myself, I want to get down there. I haven't had the chance. But you might have seen the videos online where people who are completely you know, black and white, colorblind, they use these viewing stations and they get to see color for the very first time in their lives. And they're blown away. Their jaw is on the ground. They are filled with awe and wonder because they're seeing something that's been there all along, but now they're seeing it for the very first time. Nothing has changed out there. The beauty was there, but now they can see it. And that's exactly how the Christian faith works. We can hear about Jesus over and over and over again for years, even for decades, and yet it can still not click. We just don't see the glory. It's like a colorblind person staring at the mountain. The beauty is there, but they can't make themselves see it. And then all of a sudden, they look through that viewing station and they can see it, they can see the beauty. And we can hear about Christ over and over again. But finally, when the Holy Spirit opens up our hearts, we can see him. We can see him as he is in all of his glory and beauty and majesty. Sometimes that happens in an instant. Like a light switch. We go from darkness to light in a moment. Other times, it's more like a dimmer switch. The light grows slowly brighter. The truth about Jesus becomes increasingly clear and irresistible over time. But when you see him as he really is, you will be filled with wonder. So if you're here and you haven't experienced that yet, I encourage you to stick around. Keep listening, keep thinking, keep reading, keep asking questions, but most importantly, ask the Lord to lead you into the truth, to open the eyes of your heart that you might see the awe-inspiring glory of Jesus Christ. For those of us who are Christians, those of us who have had our eyes open to this glorious truth, we still need this message from verse 18, don't we? Because when we first believe, the gospel completely blows us away. But over time, we can lose that sense of amazement, that enchantment, can't we? It's not that we grow bored, exactly, or we grow disinterested with the gospel. It's not that we don't care, but we can just grow so familiar that we can lose our sense of wonder. For those of you who can see color, do you sometimes neglect the gift of sight, the gift of beauty, isn't it easy to let the majesty of it all just, just fade into the background? Tragically, that same neglect can happen with the gospel. Over time, the good news can start to seem like old news. Sadly, the, the, the amazement can fade. So we need our sense of awe and wonder reignited. I don't know about you, but most days I wake up in the morning and I'm just not filled with amazement. The alarm clock goes off and I'm not thinking, I have good news of great joy. I have a glorious Savior. No, I'm thinking, why is my arm asleep?
1: I need a cup of coffee.
0: I want to hit the snooze button. So, what do we need? We need to reignite and reinvigorate and reawaken our sense of awe. But we can't do that. We can't do it on our own. We need the Holy Spirit's help for our hearts to experience fresh amazement and awe and wonder and astonishment at this good news of great joy. Holy Spirit, do that now even. Give us fresh amazement. Cause us to wonder at the glory of Christ. So in verse 18, we see the good news received with amazement. And in verse 19, we see the good news received as a treasure. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Imagine being in Mary's situation. She's just given birth. And now some shepherds arrive talking about an angelic welcome party for her newborn. It's a lot to take in. But take it in, she does. She treasured up all these things in her heart. Now, in this moment, she could have treasured up all kinds of things her comfort, her privacy, her personal space, her time. And our hearts will naturally treasure something, it might be our careers or our finances, or our good health, or a certain relationship, or a good reputation. Whatever it is for you, we will all treasure up something in our hearts. But what was Mary's treasure? It was the good news of great joy. And this just seemed to be the way Mary responded each and every time she had a new discovery about her glorious child. Look later in chapter 2 at verse 51, the end of that verse. This is after the 12-year-old Jesus stayed back at the temple. He was teaching the great teachers of the law. And it says this. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. Same thing, same response. Seems like every time she learned something new about Jesus, she added this newly found treasure to her ongoing collection. And this is one way that we can kind of think about and frame the entirety of our lives as Christians. We spend our lives discovering more and more of the treasures of the gospel, more and more of the unsearchable riches of Christ. And once we hide these gospel treasures in our hearts, we can start pondering them, meditating on them, thinking deeply about them, enjoying them and savoring them. I like that word savoring. When you have a perfectly cooked, medium rare steak in front of you, that is the proper way to eat a steak, by the way. There we go. I have good news about lunch. (laughs) But when you have that, that steak, that perfectly cooked steak in front of you, do you just scarf it down as fast as you can? Or do you savor it? All right, well, hopefully you you chew it slowly, right? You you take your time. You take in all the flavors and textures, enjoying every aspect of the meal. That's exactly what Mary is doing here. That we're pondering, it could literally be translated tossing around. She, she's tossing these things around in her heart. She's running them through her mind again and again. She's enjoying every drop of the glory. She was taking her time as she savored this good news. And like Mary, we we have a daily need to take the truth of the gospel and let it marinate in our minds, to to steep in our souls, to take the treasure that God has gifted to us in Christ and to, to just take it all in, to enjoy it, to savor it, to ponder it. So I would encourage you to take intentional time, even this week, to just slow down and think deeply on the specific details of the good news. For instance, take time to treasure and savor and ponder the birth of Christ or the full deity and full humanity of Christ or the perfect obedience of Christ, or the foot-washing humility of Christ, or the storm-stopping authority of Christ, or the leper-cleansing holiness of Christ. Treasure up the sufferings of Jesus, his scars and his wounds, his crown of thorns. Treasure up his precious blood and his final words, Why have you forsaken me? Father, forgive them. It is finished." Treasure up his resurrection glory, his glorified body, his indestructible life, his never-ending rule, his gift of the new creation. The good news of great joy is a treasure of infinite worth. And even throughout all of eternity, we will never exhaust its multifaceted glory. let's give our lives to treasuring up, treasuring up the unsearchable riches of Christ in our hearts and pondering them. So we receive the good news with amazement. We receive it as a treasure. And finally, Luke shows us the response of the shepherds themselves that we receive this good news with worship. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. So after all that happened, after a very unusual night, after hearing these glad tidings of a Savior, these shepherds went back to their field. They went back to their flock. Back to normal life. But now they're going back glorifying and praising God. And just like that, the shepherds make their exit out of the story. We never see them again. They fade into the background. But that's exactly the point. This story isn't primarily about them. And it isn't primarily about us. This story is all about Jesus. Now, praise God, we're included, but it's all about him. So our our desire as disciples is that our lives would just fade into the background so that the glory of Jesus could take center stage. So these men, they were still just ordinary shepherds back to their flocks, back to their fields, but now their lives have been infused with meaning and purpose that was so much bigger than themselves. They were still shepherds, but now they had become true worshipers. And it's the same for us. Right, each one of us here this morning, we're going to leave and go back to our normal lives. We'll go back to working the third shift, changing diapers, doing homework, whatever it is for you will be the same. But because of the gospel, we'll be different. Because whether we eat or drink or tend sheep or punch the clock or change diapers or do homework or whatever we do, we can do all to the glory of God. And why? Why is that? Why do we worship God? Why do we live our lives for his honor? Why do we make it our lives ambition to glorify him and enjoy him forever? It's because we can't help it. The coming of Christ is good news of great joy for all people. How can we not praise him? How can we not surrender our lives to him? How can we possibly keep silent? So out of that explosion of gospel joy, let's join with the armies of heaven and sing glory to God in the highest. Let's pray. Father, help us to treasure up these things. The beautiful words, fear not. We bring good news of great joy for all the people. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Oh, Father, help us to have fresh amazement and fresh wonder and awe at this glorious news. Help us to treasure up these things, pondering them in our hearts. Help us to return from this place glorifying and praising you. And we ask this for the glory of your great name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.